Welcome to New Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Hey, how is everyone? We're good. Happy Easter. He's risen. He's risen indeed. So good to see you. We've had a great uh, 9 a.m. service already. It's been a great day. On Friday, we saw around about 50 people make first-time decisions to follow Jesus. And uh, you may be back here today. Welcome. And all across our locations, testimonies are pouring in of changed lives and bodies being healed. It's just extraordinary. Hey, let's pray together. Why don't you close your eyes, lift your hands. Father, we just thank you today for your presence. We thank you for the power of your Word to transform us. Lord, your Word won't return to us void but it will accomplish what you send it out to perform. Jesus, you are the Word, the living Word, the bread of life. Lord, as we feast on you in our spirits and receive of you in our minds and our hearts today, Lord, would you renew our thinking to get in alignment with how you want us to approach our lives? Lord, so often we're on a different page. We want to get on your page. We don't want you to conform to us. We actually want to go where you're going. We're followers of you. And so today, Holy Spirit, come and illuminate the truth of the gospel to every person in this room. Lord, we come against every lying spirit that would deceive, distract, manipulate or control our thinking right now and cause us to miss the truth of Your Word. We take authority over that and we declare in Jesus' Name that the eyes of people's hearts will be opened to the reality of who Jesus is, the Messiah, the the God-Man, the Son of God. And so, Father, come right now. Take over this time. Take over this Word. Let it be life. Let it be surgery to us and may it make us more like Jesus we pray in Jesus name Amen. Awesome you may be seated I want to invite you to go with me to John chapter 11 John 11 and uh, I've preached uh, many Easter Sundays and it's one of my most favourite times to minister the word and uh, often when I minister around Resurrection Sunday It's about building a case for faith, for people to actually come into agreement in faith and believe that the resurrection of Jesus not only happened, but is uh, relevant to them today. And in our postmodern relative world, that is a challenge in and of, of itself. But beyond that, this week, I felt the Holy Spirit really challenge me about, yes, by drawing our attention to Jesus and His resurrection, there is also a call for us to apply the truth of that resurrection in our daily lives as believers. And so I'm going to take you a step further today, and and some of you are going to be totally brought out of your comfort zone, because I know I have been in preparing this. How many of us know it's a good thing when the preacher gets drawn out of his comfort zone? 
And I'm going to speak about something that some of you have never, ever heard about before, taught, preached, or stories about it. And for many of you, it's the stuff of movies and Marvel Avengers and sort of crazy out there stuff. But I believe that the Lord is calling us to this today. So prepare your hearts, buckle your seatbelts. Or maybe if you're really up for it, just let your seatbelt go and just go, okay? All right, John 11. I'm going to read from verse 17 to 27. Should I say verse 17? Yep, I did say that. Very good. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother Lazarus, who had died. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So there's some measure of faith there that she has. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's not speaking about physical death. He's talking about eternal spiritual death. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now go across to verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, Lazarus' tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's going to be a funky smell coming out of that tomb. There's going to be, that was in the original Greek. There'll be an odour, for he has been dead for days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, everybody say believe, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard from me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips like a mummy and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Today, I want to speak to you on the subject of raising the dead. Raising the dead. Heard an amazing story of a, a missionary in Mexico by the name of David Hogan. And David Hogan has seen over 500 uh, people raised from the dead, recorded, documented. And uh, he and his wife for decades have ministered in some of the most violent uh, villages and towns and cities in Mexico, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out devils and raising the dead. And he tells a story about being on the road for five months around the world and finally he jumps on a plane and gets to fly back home. And 
as he gets to the airport, he's um, upgraded to first class. He was so excited about that because he was tired. He just wanted to relax. And then he finds out a little bit after he was upgraded that he got downgraded. And so in his own words, he said, you know, he was put up the back with all the chicken and the crates and the cattle. And he's up there right in the back. And now he's a man of God, but he's got an attitude. How many of us know that you can be a man or woman of God and yet you're human? And uh, there's reality. And we all get tired of fatigue. We all can react in our humanity. And so he's up the back and he's got an attitude and his wife is trying to tell him, Mrs. Hogan is trying to tell him to snap out of it. And uh, he's like, no, I don't want to. And so it's his day off. He's on the plane. He wants first class. He's sitting there up the back when all of a sudden the passenger in front of them starts to violently shake and rock and is choking to death, has a violent heart attack right there on the plane. And Mrs. Hogan is sort of looking through the seats, the, the crack in the seats to see what's going on. And uh, one thing leads to another. Hostess is called, a, a doctor is called for, a doctor's on the plane, comes, everyone starts to work on this guy and he dies. Mrs. Hogan sort of shoves her husband and says, do something. He's like, no, it's my day off. And they downgraded me. She's like, oh, get over yourself, do something. And so after several minutes of him processing this, he gets up and he's rather a character and he goes over the, the seat in front. And everyone, as you can imagine on a plane, I've been in some of these scenarios traveling so much and it's crazy. And here is Mr. Hogan there and he says to the doctor, hey, can I help? And the do doctor's like, well, are you a doctor? And he's like, no, but I work for a guy who raises people from the dead. And the doctor's looking at him like, what? He says, well, you don't believe in my boss, Jesus, but I do. And I've developed a reputation over several decades of believing in him enough for people who've been dead to be raised back to life. And if you give me permission, I can try and help the situation. That's exactly his words. And the doctor shook his head in disbelief. He's like, go for it. And the the wife of this person's there. She's desperately, please pray, please pray. It's amazing we find a prayer life when things go pear-shaped. People who say, I don't believe in God and they never pray when it all goes pear-shaped. Oh, oh, God, where are you right now? Listen, if that's, if that's you today, don't wait till you face a crisis or a tragedy to call out to God. Today is the day of salvation. Cry out to God today. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. But Jesus is a real person who is alive and is still raising people from the dead today. And so David Hogan, in his words, leans over. Everyone's now crowded around with their eyes as big as dinner plates, leans over him and says, now listen, it's my day off. This is what he says to the dead guy. <laughs> but Mrs. Hogan here wants me to help you. And so... In Jesus' name, I command you to come back to life. And he begins to pray over him. This takes a few minutes. Within about 10, 15 minutes, breath comes back into this man's body. And within another few minutes, blood and everything starts to return to normal. And within about 30 minutes, this man was back in his seat and everything was perfectly fine. When they finally landed and got to customs, they bumped into each other at customs and the man came over to David and said, I haven't felt this great in ages. 
He's like, yeah, because God raised you back to life. Now go get your heart checked out. And, and when I heard that story, I was reminded of my own failed attempts to try and raise people from the dead. Because I'm preaching on something today that I am yet to be successful in, and yet, like you, I'm an apprentice that's still learning. I remember being in an intensive care unit with a broken family as their mother had just passed away and they asked me to pray to raise her back from the dead. And I tried and I believed and I did what I knew to do and she didn't come back to life. But God used that whole situation to transform that family in a significant way. The closest I've come to actually raising someone from the dead is my own sister who back in 2001 was on a life support system and my Family and I, we prayed in faith for about an hour as her blood pressure was weakening and the doctors reported to us that she probably wouldn't survive the night. Within an hour, she was not only off life support but conscious and all of her vital signs returned back to normal. That's the closest I've been to. I received a prophetic word the last few months that in the next six months I would raise someone from the dead. And so when you get a word like that, you start to prepare your heart. And if ever there is a day for us to talk about Jesus' command to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out devils, Resurrection Sunday is that day. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is not meant to just be something that we pay mental assent to, acknowledge with our lips, but we deny in our lifestyle. And many believers are what I call practical atheists. They're unbelieving believers. We read it and we confess it and we acknowledge it in the Gospels, but the reality of it isn't true in our daily lives. But if we call ourselves believers and followers of Jesus, we actually have to posture our hearts for the fullness of the Gospel to be applied and available and accessible in our everyday lives. Jesus said this in John 14, 12, "'Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do.'" Did Jesus raise people from the dead? Yes. What's recorded alone in the Gospels, John tells us there was so much more done that wasn't recorded in the Gospels, but what was recorded in the Gospels alone was three people being raised from the dead. Jesus destroyed, he messed up every funeral he attended, including his own. All right? So if he said that you're gonna do greater works, and the works that I'm doing, and even greater works than these will you do, then it implies that you and I are called, we're invited into the adventure of faith to see Jesus, no one in this room can do this in their own strength or ability, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the name of Jesus, you and I are invited to do what Jesus did. Jesus commanded us to raise the dead. He said, what are you talking about? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Yep. And he said in in, uh, Matthew 10, 7, proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's accessible. It's staring you in the face. It's right in front of you and proclaim it as well as proclaiming it, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Now, for much of the modern church, we've relegated raising the dead as being not relevant for us. We're all okay with proclaiming the gospel. We're all okay with even praying and believing for the sick to be healed. Maybe even we'll venture to say, I can't command that demon to come out, but raising the dead, oh, come on now. That's the stuff of Hollywood and fictional books and 
children's stories, that, that, that isn't real. And yet, what if we decided to live as if everything Jesus said is true? Because the fact that Jesus commanded it implies that there are some people who prematurely die. And yet many people, even many believers say, well, it was their time. Really? He wouldn't command you and I to do it if there wasn't people that prematurely die. And there have been moments in my life and ministry where people have died and something within me says, there's something not right about this. This isn't just, you know, it's their time and they've lived a wonderful full life and and this is an, and, and obviously there's wisdom and discernment and sensitivity about that. But there is this call, this command, this invitation from heaven to be invited in to participate in the miracle working adventure of faith. You know, Chuck Parry in his book, uh, Free Falling, and he was here last week sharing, he talked about in his book how his grandma died on a farm even in her 80s and and he was confused and perplexed in that moment. He was the only one at home at the time. What should he do? He'd never been in a situation like this. What do you do? Call the police? Call the paramedics? What, what do you do? And he was going to do all that, but he was just sitting there pondering as his grandma just passes away. And he says, Lord, what's your will? What do you, what do you want me to do in this situation? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, rebuke death. And he decided not to overthink it, not overcomplicate it, not come up with justifiable explanations as to why you shouldn't or should, but he just began to rebuke it. And within about 30 minutes, his grandma came back to life. And they called the family and said, hey, you need to get to the farm quick. And they came from all over the States and they had a week to be able to say their final goodbyes before she eventually passed away. We often get so caught up wondering what God's will is that we miss actually doing it. What if God's will is not as complex and overcomplicated as what we make it? The Bible says in Hebrews 11.35, women receive back their dead by resurrection. What is that a reference to? It's a reference to Elijah the prophet and Elijah his protege in 1 Kings 17 and in 2 Kings bringing a young dead boy back to life because a mother dared to believe that it wasn't time for her precious son to go into eternity. Oh, I'm believing today that someone somewhere in this room is going to have the kernel seed and mustard seed of faith to begin to believe that God could use you to actually raise someone from the dead. Because all throughout the Old Testament, let alone the New Testament, we see the supernatural hand of God moving in people's lives. The Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 3.10, that his goal was to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That by any means possible, he would attain to the resurrection of the dead. And he wasn't just believing that for himself, but his whole gospel proclamation was fueled by this passion and this desire to see people come into the fullness and reality of their own resurrection from the dead. 
Eternity doesn't begin when you die. Eternity begins the moment you put faith in Jesus and you declare no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Eternity begins right now for every single believer in this room. And Jesus has commanded you not just to go and make disciples in terms of teaching alone or even just praying for people, but believing in faith for people who are prematurely dying to actually be raised from the dead. And you're not always going to know, is this a premature death or not? But we should be praying and conscious and then exercising wisdom and discernment and maybe asking for permission from those who are loved ones or whatever the situation calls for. As we step out in faith, say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? How do you want me to respond to this? See, Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people think Jesus raised himself up. No, the Bible says in Romans 8.11 that it was the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then that same resurrection spirit, that same resurrection power will give life to your mortal body. So that you one day will be raised into a new heavenly body to spend all eternity in the presence of Jesus. Now, of the three grand miracles in the Bible, there are many miracles, but the, the big ones, the big ones, right? There's creation. And we see in Genesis 1 to 3, the miracle of creation. There is the incarnation of Jesus. The early parts of all of the Gospels we see the story, particularly the first three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We see the story of the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But then the third miracle and the signature of Christianity, the defining miracle that says Jesus, uh, or should I say Christianity is not dead but alive, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the capstone miracle that all miracles are actually based upon and that gives a, a future to our faith. If Jesus is still dead, then let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If Jesus is still dead, then you and I are still dead in our sin. There is no hope. This is a charade. It's a, it's a total theatrical performance. None of it is real. And if that's true, then I'm going to be the first one out the door with my bag, close up shop and go and do something else. But I'm here to tell you, he said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He is not a dead guru. He is a risen saviour. And his presence is in this room right now. This is the day of your salvation. This is the day of your reconciliation. And this is the day where you can begin to believe, not just for your own spiritual or literal resurrection into eternal life, but God could use you to raise someone from the dead. You see, Jesus' resurrection is an historical fact witnessed by hundreds of people. There are 17 appearances in the Gospels in the book of Acts alone. In fact, one historian says, we have more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than we do that Caesar existed. You read in the Gospels where it says that Mary Magdalene saw Jesus and heard Jesus with her own faculties and senses. John saw empty grave clothes in that empty tomb. Two angels 
asked Mary, why are you weeping? Implying no more need to be sad. No more need to mourn. He's alive. And so if there's any day where every single church and believer should get a little bit crazy and Pentecostal, it's Resurrection Sunday. Doesn't matter if you're a Catholic, frozen chosen, Baptist, whoever you are, this is the day where we all should be just going absolutely bananas because there is resurrection life in the empty tomb. Jesus appeared to the disciples behind locked doors, just appeared. And when Doubting Thomas said, I will not believe until I put my finger in his hands and nail pierced hands in his pierced side. Jesus appears and, and, and Thomas, although he had a resurrected body, a heavenly body, it was also literal, material, physical. That's The heavenly body is both physical and spiritual. And so he could touch and he touched his body and he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, do you believe because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me. And yet, but that means that is a prophecy over you and I. Well, I've not seen him literally in the flesh, but I've experienced him. I talk to him. I love what Time Magazine asked of Billy Graham. You know, um, is God dead? And Billy Graham many years ago said, you've got to be joking. I was just talking to him over breakfast. Uh, you might not be able to see him, but you've got a relationship with him. He's real. So there is a blessing, meaning there's divine unmerited favor on your life because you believe even though you can't see. We live in a world that says, show me first and I'll believe. God says, no, believe first and then you'll see. Jesus' resurrection was physical. It wasn't just spiritual. The enemies of Jesus couldn't produce his body, so they paid off the Roman soldiers to actually concoct and propagate a lie to the surrounding community to cover their backs. N.T. Wright says this, if Jesus is raised only in a spiritual sense, then our faith only becomes about a spiritual pursuit. But if God, if Jesus is raised in a literal and spiritual sense, then the gospel is good news for the entirety of your existence. Not just your spirit and not just your mind, but your physical body as well. Jesus' resurrection is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The prophets foretold that there was coming a day when Jesus the Messiah would not only be born, would not only suffer, but would rise from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15.4 says Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the prophecies and the scriptures previously revealing him. Jesus' resurrection gives us assurance of our own resurrection, meaning that eternal life is given to every believer the moment in faith you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Eternal life begins in that moment because whilst you were dead in sin before that, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Whether you're, people look at, you know, pastors or priests or spiritual leaders and they're like, oh, you, you, you must be more holy than me. You, little do they know, you, you, you're all perfect. And No, the Bible says all of us. How many of us know that word all in the Bible means all? All of us have sinned and fallen short. We all need a saviour. You can't save yourself. No matter how much money you earn, how much success in your job, how good your family is, it's not going to save you when you stand before him on judgment day. I can't grab my dad and say, he believed in you. Can, is that enough to get me across the line? 
No, he's going to ask, what did you do with this opportunity on Resurrection Sunday on the 9th of April, 2023? Because you heard the gospel. You heard the truth of who I am. I've given everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. What did you do with it? See, now that you've heard it, you're accountable. Oh, that's heavy. That's heavy. But it's true. It's tight, but it's right. Once you hear the gospel, you're now accountable. If you've never heard it, then you can't, you, you know, even ignorance is not enough. And even former police officer, ignorance of the law is not a justifiable claim or excuse. Okay? So, but now even more so, you've heard it, you've been entrusted with it, your response, you're going to be held accountable for. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, as by Adam, original father, came death, so by Jesus, the second Adam, comes resurrection life. Our resurrected body will be just like Jesus' resurrected body. How many of us know that's good news? Particularly when we eat calories today and chocolate Easter eggs. Meaning that the corruptible seed of your body that is fallen in sin in Christ and in your resurrection will become an incorruptible body. In Philippians 3.21, it says, Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by his power. That's good news. Every time you have an ache and a pain, every time there's a sickness that attacks your body, every time you feel fatigued and overwhelmed, there is an element of tribulation we're going to have to live for in this world. We can believe for healing and even believe to be raised from the dead. But ultimately, this physical tent will perish. It is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. We all will eventually die even if you get raised from the dead a dozen times. This body is designed to ultimately perish, but your spirit and your physical body will be resurrected into a new heavenly body in Jesus' name. And so because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, nothing ever is impossible with God. Whatever is broken, whatever is busted, whatever is despised and disgusted, whatever is dead, in your life today, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, nothing is ever over or impossible with God. So put the tissues away and stop feeling sorry for yourself like just because you got the doctor's report, it's the end. Oh no, it is the beginning of a mighty, wonderful, glorious testimony an adventure of what God wants to do in your life. What did Jesus say to Martha and Mary at their moment of greatest need as they lost their brother? The one, by the way, that Jesus loved. Verse 25 of John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes, everybody say believes. believes. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. Now, it's interesting to note that immediately after Jesus declared this truth, he asked Martha the question. So the statement of declaration that Jesus is the resurrection and the life has taken place. But the application of that in Martha's life comes back to where is her faith at? 
He says, do you believe this? I mean, it's no. It's not what others say of who Jesus is. Jesus said, who do you say? The application of faith, salvation's benefits, eternal life is not applied to your life until you believe. You can't vicariously live through my faith. You can't vicariously live through your parents' faith or your kids' faith. You've got to get your own. And it's as simple as, God, I acknowledge you are God. I am not. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to come and live in my heart and give me this free gift of eternal life. Martha responded to Jesus, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then soon after, as the declaration of truth went out, Martha agreed in faith, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Now, the word believe is repeated seven times in this passage of Scripture, in this story. And basic interpretation of Scripture tells us that whenever there is a word that is repeated multiple times in the Bible. It's God saying, heads up, listen up. I'm trying to get a message through to you. I'm trying to speak to you about your faith and what you're putting your faith in. In John eleven forty, 40, it says, did I not tell you, Jesus said, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So we're, we're believing and praying and seeing a manifestation of God's glory in the church, in people's lives, in the earth. Why? It's because some of us actually believe. In the presence and the weightiness, the kabod, the weight of God's manifest glory, His manifest presence to break out. You see, miracles by laying on of hands is one thing, but when there is a manifestation of God's glory in a room or a property or a suburb or a city, miracles happen without anybody laying hands on anyone. I'm believing for the day when not just our church building, but entire suburbs. What if your whole street could come under the manifest glory of God? And where there were domestic disputes and crime, all of a sudden in its place, families are being restored and reunited. Stories like this happen all over the world. This is not outside of a point of reference. This is normal Christianity, this is normal kingdom living. I'm believing for the city of Melbourne, for the crime rate to drop, for, for suicide rate to go down, for, for a manifestation, an invasion of the glory of God. That's what true revival is in a city or a nation. That as the world teeters on talk of recession and economic collapse, let the people of God be like the land of Goshen. That could this be our finest hour that we rise up and people are like, why are you so happy? Because He is the resurrection and the life. And everyone who comes to Him and believes, they too have that resurrection life inside of them. Now, isn't it interesting when Jesus found out that Lazarus was ill, He delayed his journey to them by two days. Don't you think that's a bit weird? I mean, if I'm ill and I'm like on my last legs, Pastor David Hickman, I would like you to come visit me. Immediately. (laughs) 
I would like Tony to come and bring anointing oil and lay hands on me. I would like Jay Long and Joe, I'd like you all, in fact, to come knock on my door and say, Pastor, we're going to pray for you in Jesus. Not Jesus. He's like, oh, he's dying, is he? Okay, I'm just going to wait till he dies. <laughs> You're like, the ways of God don't make sense to our rational, logical mind. I mean, if you love someone like Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, you're not delaying your visit. I'm booking in an appointment to visit the hospital ward. Jesus says, oh no, it's okay. This is for the glory of God. Just wait and see. Which means he knows something you and I don't know. He knows the end from the beginning. And everyone around him is like, well, let's not go to Judea because they just tried to kill you there. And then Mary and Martha are like, no, you need to come now because Lazarus is sick and he's about to die. Lazarus dies and Jesus gets a revelation after he dies. Now's the time. And so let's go, disciples. And they march down to Judea. And now Mary, Mary, quite contrary, who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching and thought that her devotion Tithing and intimacy earned her the right to call Jesus at her beck and call. Now is in the room having a little tempi tantrum and now is offended at the Son of God who's holding the molecules of her body together by the power of his word. She's offended. She's upset. No, I'm not going out to see Jesus. He didn't come when I asked him to. Have you ever developed an attitude like that? God, I tithe. I had devotions once this week. I mean, I've attended church twice this Easter weekend. I have earned your attention. See, nervous laughs in the room, right? <laughs> but we sort of get into this works mentality like we've earned somehow God's favour and attention in our lives. Yeah. And this is Mary. The one who was, oh, Jesus, you're amazing. She's in the river and she's loving it. And then Martha's running around and now she's had an encounter, a transformation with Jesus. Who was the first one out? Not Mary, Mary, quite contrary. Oh, no, Martha. Martha's out and Martha's like, Lord, if you'd been here, he would have been well. He wouldn't have died. But I believe even now, whatever you ask, the Father will give it to you. You see, everything God does in your life even when you don't understand it, doesn't make any logical sense, is about building faith in his goodness and his glory. And we would, in our finiteness, have got to learn how to trust in the midst of the delay and trust in the midst of the mystery of what it means to be a person of faith. No matter what you face and no matter what I face, even if there is a delay and even if it all looks like everything is dead, there is always a solution with Jesus. Everything God does in your life is about building your faith in His goodness, His nature. He's not trying to torment you. He's not trying to torture you. He's not trying to persecute you. He would be an abusive father. We would lock him away if that was him. No, in fact, he actually loves you so much that he gave his one and only son. Interestingly, on Friday, we highlighted on Good Friday where it says where Jesus, in the midst of his suffering, prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you remember that yeah. phrase and that passage? 
since Friday, I began to really pray into this and process this and study this because it's often taught, and even we, to a certain extent, have taught that the father actually forsook his son at his moment of greatest need. Why? Because a perfect holy God can't have anything to do with sin. But we often use that as a justification to try and explain why did Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But in fact, Jesus was praying Psalm 22, the prayer of David, and in his suffering was lifting up and offering up a prayer of God in his humanity. I feel forsaken right now. Where are you? And if you read Psalm 22, where a lot of preachers say, that God turned his face away from his son because he could have nothing to do with his son. Psalm 22, it actually says, he does not withhold his face from me. Meaning the father was right there in the midst of the contradiction, in the midst of the suffering, because if Jesus and the father weren't one in that moment, how could he be the unblemished lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? He would cease to be our saviour. But the father, even in the midst of the torment, was right there because it was God himself being crucified on that cross. Jesus was questioning in his humanity, God, why is it that I feel so forsaken? But the father never forsook his son for one moment because if he did, he would be an abusive father. We have a perfect father. You see, if there's anything we learn from the example of Jesus about raising the dead, it's this. If you want to be a dead raiser, you've got to go where the dead are. In John eleven thirty eight, 38, it says, Then Jesus, being deeply moved, came to the tomb and he said, Take away the stone. Often our culture is trying to run away from death. Jesus runs to it. Which we've got, you know, nutritional strategies and cosmetic surgery and program after program and everyone wants to live forever and live young and look young and those things in itself aren't bad, but it's, we're fixated with living. We'll just come to Jesus. He's the resurrection and the life. Yeah. And we run away from death. And we hide death away, and I understand why. We hide death away behind the scenes. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it, and yet Jesus went where the dead were. Yeah. If you want to be a dead raiser, you've got to go where the dead are. Robbie Dawkins is a minister of the gospel. He was ministering in Puerto Rico, and two blocks away there was a park and some of his team were down in the park evangelizing, ran up to the church and said, Robbie, you've got to come. There's a man who just died of a heart attack. And Robbie and his team were committed to living out the teachings of Jesus. And they went down there. Paramedics were there. There was a sheet over this man's body. And uh, he asked for permission. He exercised wisdom, discernment, asked for permission. Hey, I'm a minister of the gospel. Could I pray for this man? They thought that he was going to read last rites and all that sort of thing. And, and uh, they got permission and said, yes, go for it while they're waiting for the police to come. And he leant over this man chest to chest and began to call upon the name of Jesus. I command this man to be raised up. Nothing happened. And the police came, asked him to stop praying after 30 minutes or whatever it was. And, but he didn't realize that there was this crowd of onlookers and people that were surrounding this scene, watching as this man of faith 
was praying because he actually believed that God could raise this man up. And as he looked and as the team were having discussions with the onlookers, tears were filling their eyes because they couldn't believe there is actually someone who believes. And right there, he said, God, what do I do? And Jesus said to him, I want you to start praying for them. Many of them got healed as he prayed for the onlookers. Then he invited them back to church. And two of the 12 that came to the church service that night gave their lives to Jesus. Simply because someone was willing to believe even to failure. We shy away from failure. Could it be that failure is the very thing that God is pushing us into to get over ourselves, that he would use that to do more than even just what we're contending for in the supernatural realm? So many of us don't step out because we overanalyze it. We make it more complex than what it needs to be. And the Lord is inviting us through Resurrection Sunday and through the story of Lazarus and through the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven to raise the dead, to become a part of this miracle story called the gospel of Jesus Christ. What if everything Jesus said was actually true? What if we lived like it was actually true? You see, to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to be willing to risk failing big because you never know. And what did Jesus say? He said, proclaim as you go. That implies movement. And let's know the gospel, Christianity, is a movement-oriented relationship. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Move, go, and as you go, do these things. So how do you raise someone from the dead? Just follow Jesus. How many of us know Jesus is perfect theology? I haven't done it yet, but Jesus has. I'm going to follow him. What did he do? He prayed. Father, I thank you that you hear from me. He believed. He prayed so that people would believe. So you pray until you get faith. And then you command. He said, Lazarus, come out. For us, we can't raise him up so Jesus can Lazarus, come out in Jesus' name. Come up, come alive in Jesus' name. So what if nothing happens? Yeah, but what if it does happen? Smith Wigglesworth, who preached on the platform in this church in 1927, just in the church building next door to us. He, many stories, he raised about 14 people from the dead. Well, Jesus used him to do that and he was invited in by a family to a funeral home where a man had been dead three days and the family refused to, I don't know if that would even happen these days, but back then it did. And So the family invited this preacher in, healing evangelist, and if anyone knows anything about Smith Wigglesworth, he's crazy faith. And he goes in, he commands all the doubt to leave the room, escorts all the family out. And he goes and he pulls this guy up, true story, out of the coffin, lifts him up, and he says, live, lets him go. The guy falls back down again. He says, I've asked you once, I'm gonna ask you a second time. Grabs a guy by a lapel, looks at him and says, live. Lets him go. Guy go back down again. He grabs him one last time and he says, I've asked you once, I've asked you twice, I'm not gonna ask you more than three times, live. And he let the guy go and the guy began to violently cough and breath came back into him. And within an hour or so, his family, they're all reunited. And that man lived for many years after that because one man dead believed. 
that the entire foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me and whoever believes in me, I will raise them up and give them eternal life. I love what Sam Storm says. He says, death, the last sleep. Ha, no, it's the final awakening. And so many of us, and even myself at times, have been bound by the fear of death. We haven't lived with assurance of our salvation, but today you can live with assurance of salvation in your heart. Today, you can never fear death another second in your life because you know it's the final awakening. And today, not only can you not fear death for yourself and live with that assurance, but you can actually, if ever you're presented with wisdom and discernment and kindness and respect to all of the situations and circumstances in front of you, if given permission, you can begin to believe and call dead things to come back to life in Jesus' name. And call those things that are not as if they already were. This is the covenant of life and faith that we have because Jesus rose from the dead. And now we're invited into his story. I want to invite you to stand your feet with me today. I just keep replaying over in my mind when you go back to work on Tuesday and they asked you, what did you do on the weekend? I went to church. Oh yeah, how was that? What did the preacher talk about? <laughs> Raising the dead. Just like to see their faces. <laughs> hey, I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. There's a few things we're going to do together. Firstly, I really felt the Holy Spirit put up on my heart that we are to pray for an impartation of dead-raising faith in this room. This word has been preached not to pay mental assent and for us to feel good on another Easter and go eat some chalky eggs. This message has been put into our hearts today to compel us to believe and go. Right now in this room, you've been invited to proclaim the gospel, to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out devils, but you've also been invited to raise the dead. I don't know if you'll ever have a testimony. Maybe some of you will. Most of us won't because we're never in that situation. But some of you will. Whether or not you do or not, if you're here today and you say, in faith, God, would you put the gift of faith in my heart to actually partner with the reality of this word today? If you want that, all across this room right now, I want you to raise your hand. I'm gonna pray for you right now if you want that. Father, I pray right now for every hand raised and every person who's genuine about this, that Lord, you would anoint and you would impart a gift of faith to raise people from the dead. That you said that this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. And this kingdom, this gospel has assurance of faith in it 
to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And God, I pray that we would be willing to push to failure. We would be willing to contend. You said, whoever believes in me, even greater works than these will you do. I'm asking, oh God, for an anointing of your spirit to come, a dead raising anointing, oh God. Lord, that even we call upon, Lord, that, that anointing that was upon that man of God that preached in this pulpit, in 1927, and I'm asking, oh God, for a fresh impartation of Your Spirit and of power, oh God, that in our lives, Lord, I'm praying right now, if you, if you are a nurse that is in palliative care, or you're a doctor in the medical field, or you're an emergency services worker, police, fiery, paramedic, and you're on the front line and you say, I believe this and if the, I'm, I want this in my life, then right now, you raise your hand too. Lord, we pray for an impartation of faith and of resurrection life to come upon these amazing heroes, oh God. Lord, in the community, Lord, in the front line, Father, we pray, oh God, let testimony after testimony break out in Jesus' Name. Let signs and wonders, Lord, let funerals be interrupted by holy encounters. Lord, let the story go far and wide. You still raise the dead today. Father, I'm asking for someone, Lord, just a little kid. Lord, an older man or a woman. Lord, a middle-aged businessman. Lord, a, a teenager. Lord, a young adult, just to believe that you could be raised them from the dead, oh God, that you could use them. And, and Lord, that another testimony, another miracle will come through their life. Lord, I'm looking for just one today, just one. Father, we come into agreement today that You are the resurrection of the that You are the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come on, we need to sing, we need to worship, we need to respond. Maybe you need to get out of your seat, come into the aisle, come down the front and say, God, here is my life. I yield to You, I surrender, I submit to You. Come on, if you believe it, you don't need to respond, why don't you just come? Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platforms.